Trusting the Bible is a podcast series from Tyndall House Cambridge and Bible Society. Conversations with experts in biblical studies. In our first series, Trusting the Gospels, we're exploring the reliability, relevance and reality of the four gospel accounts. In this episode, Dr. Andrew Ollerton and Dr. Peter J. Williams discuss how we gauge trustworthiness in everyday life and how we approach the question of the credibility of the four gospels. Well, welcome to this podcast series. My name is Andrew Ollerton. I work with Bible Society. I'm joined by Dr. Peter J. Williams, who is principal of Tyndale House. And together, as organisations, we're partnering with this podcast series to raise confidence in the Bible, something we're all passionate about. Peter, great to have you with us today. Great to be with you. And just share a little bit, you know, Tyndale House, we're here in Cambridge, recording it on site. Uh, what What is Tyndale House? What do you get up to? Well, Tyndale House is a research centre for the Bible with a library, the best library in Britain. And people come from around the world, not the, well, the best library of the Bible in Britain, let's say. And people come from around the world to study there. We get a community of 50 people researching the Bible at the doctoral level or above. But our heart is uh, that our research should serve the church and help people to be excited about the Bible. Great. And you're obviously principal of, of mm-hmm. Tinder House. What's, what's, what do you focus on? What, what is your, what's your day job? Well, it's, it's quite varied, but I get to lead the organisation, set the vision and represent it publicly, as well as carry out research, uh, teaching, speaking and, and, and so on. Great. So we've got an absolutely great team here. Great. And somehow you get time to write books and various things as well. We've got, um, you've, you've recently released the book, Can We Trust the Gospels um, with Crossway, which, is, uh, which I've read and really enjoyed along, along many other people. Encourage our listeners to get hold of a copy. And uh, obviously this is a lifetime passionate of yours. Mm-hmm. Could you just backtrack though? I say lifetime, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. When did you tell us a little bit about your faith journey yeah. how have you come to a place where this matters to you yeah so i had the privilege of growing up in a, a christian family but um coming to university and coming across a whole load of different ideas you really realize that these things are incredibly disputed and that sent me through a stage of of, of doubt and searching and finding answers and eventually sharing answers and so one of the things i've been um thinking about for the last 20 or more years was the subject of the trustworthiness of the Gospels. And I tried to write uh, all the thoughts I'd had that were uh, worthwhile uh, in 140 pages. So mm-hmm. I, I wanted to make it very condensed and simple. I didn't want to use uh, technical language unnecessarily. I just want to explain things. Uh, so it's for an absolute beginner or someone who's been uh, in uh, studying the Gospels for quite a few years. I hope they'd both get a lot from it. Yeah, well, that was what struck me. Was it, well, Thank you for making it short. <laughs> I, know that, I know that took you a <laughs> lot Lots long. of people write long books. Yeah, exactly. I know it takes you a lot longer to write a short book, which is the irony, but we're, I think, really grateful for that because I know, I know how much uh, goes on in your mind or some of it, but you've got it down. You've condensed it down to something very accessible. Um, and I suppose that reflects a concern then that you, you and Tinder House share about actually good scholarship is something that everyone can engage with and every Christian, I suppose, can have an opportunity to really think for themselves on these things. That's right. I, th- I think uh, an analogy I often use is with the sort of ingredients that we have on tins and uh, food and these sort of things where uh, we're not all dietary experts, but we're all taking a bit of an interest. Mm. Uh, nowadays, every parent feels they have to read ingredients sometimes mm. in order to know what's in it. Uh, and so I think it's it's the same way with the Bible. It's not that everyone's going to be a scholarly expert on the Bible, but everyone can take an interest in the nuts and bolts of how it's come to us and uh, what we can say about it. So that's what I'm in- encouraging people to do, to, to just take take an interest. Mm. That's great. Yeah, good. 
good good analogy. So Pete, like every author, you probably chose your title carefully. And I noticed you, you landed on can we trust the gospels, not you know, can we prove the gospels? Let's start with that word trust. You know, what's what's your um what do you mean by that? And how, how what's your ambition for this book? What is, what would it mean to trust the gospels? Well, trust is something that every human exercises every day. Um, we are social creatures and we depend on each other for our lives, literally. Um, when we consume food, we buy food from shops, you know, there's enough um, that we're consuming that if it were poison, we'd be dead. And we can't not rely on what mm-hmm. the shop supply or, you know, what other people supply. You can try and imagine going off on and living on your own and not relying on anyone else. And it's going to be exceedingly difficult. And so because trust is something we exercise every day, um, that's actually something we we can't avoid doing coming to the Bible. People are often looking for some sort of mathematical or philosophical proof when really what the Bible's presenting to us is God as a person. And we are wired so that we um, know how to decide whether to trust people or not. We sometimes make mistakes, but fundamentally we are all making decisions about whether to trust people or not. And so this is where this question of can we trust the gospels at a personal level um do they come across as credible reporting that's something that i'm wanting to ask i think it's a it's the right question to ask um the question can we prove everything in the gospels Mm -hmm. to be true mathematically no you can't you you can't prove the most important things in life you can't prove your mother loves you you can't prove um that life has a purpose in those sort of ways. You can't prove the value of a human being mm. using a mathematical proof. Mm. Uh, so, so, and even science, which people say is, you know, is about proof, you can't, there's no scientific experiment you can conduct to show you that science has a value. Mm. So, so science, you've got to believe in the value of yeah, science okay. in order to do it. And we're so, talking here history, aren't we? So I suppose yeah, in that yeah, sense... Sure. Which, by definition, is unrepeatable. So there's a it's sense un- in unrepeatable, which... but yeah, that's right. And and so you look at, at categories of personal trustworthiness with, yes. when it comes to testimony. Okay, so that's particular. So with, within the context of the Gospels and history, we're thinking here: are the accounts that we have? I mean, the four Gospels in that are included in the Bible, are they trustworthy? That's that's the yep. question at stake. And um, before we get into the detail of why you've come to the conviction that they mm. are, and you've you know that's been pretty well road tested in in academia and all sorts of um, contexts where you've had to think that one through. Let's just, for the sake of our listeners, and uh, revisit what are the Gospels? You know, what, when we we've, we've got these four: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In essence, what are they? Uh, how would you summarise them? So the four Gospels you have, uh, the beginning of any New Testament, are the earliest accounts that we have of Jesus' life. And they focus particularly on his teaching, his activities, and his death and resurrection. So that they, they, they have this, uh, they're not trying to tell you everything about what, what happened in life. They have this focus. And they're about nine hours worth of text if you read them mm-hmm. throughout loud. Okay, so so would you describe them as something like ancient biographies? Then, what what would you what sort of phrase would you use to say what kind of we, we can think of them as uh, biographies, provided we recognise that the way we would do things is somewhat different because we would, if someone lived for seventy years, we'd, and we had seven chapters, we'd tend to do about ten years per per chapter, yes. and the way the gospels work is about. A third to a quarter of the entire gospel is taken up with that last week of Jesus' uh, life leading up to his 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 death and resurrection. That's the focus. So it's presenting Jesus as um, God's son come into the world to save us. And uh, it doesn't drift from 
from that. Okay, so that so that almost that's a clue, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to spend a third, up to a third or half of the gospel on one final week, you're, you're it's more of a message than a sort of neutral biography, yeah. if you like. Yeah. So um, even the word gospel, meaning um, the the good news, uh, is therefore telling you it, it's not just a record of of history. It's also particularly meaningful history of, of events that matter to all of us. Mm. So what do you say, given that's the case, what do you say then to those who, because I, I hear this plenty of times where people say, well, precisely for that reason, they're not reliable because they're, they're clearly biased. I mean, you know, they're not, they're not writing history in the sort of objective sense. They are, um, you know, putting a spin on things because they've got a message. You know, what, what do you say to those who say, well, the gospel writers are Christians, therefore it's not proper history? Well, I think sometimes the problem is the category of history, that we can think of that as just about uh, dispassionate facts which have no meaning. But when we think about, say, accounts there were of the Holocaust, Ellie Weasel's book, Night, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, record the gulag archipelago these are witnesses of um tragedies and terrible events and to say that we shouldn't trust them because they have an argument about what is right and wrong it it makes no sense at all and i think that let's say someone does a great injustice to someone they may be very invested in the argument that uh an injustice has been done against them. A victim is going to feel victimised and so on. Does that mean you can't trust anything that they present in Mm. terms of evidence? Um, This isn't the way it works at all. So I think that we've got to move away from, I mean, history departments are great, but remember that um, in terms of deciding the meanings of things, that we've got to come to something a little bit more uh, every day, that we every day recognise there there are witnesses to events that matter. And so here we have people writing to us saying these events happen, they matter. They, they should be classed as testimony and evaluated as such in the way that we normally do. Okay, so testimony is an interesting word as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's and a word that, word that comes up again and again, yes. testimony. Yeah, they've seen something or they've they've had some access to eyewitnesses who've seen something and they're bearing witness yep. to that, which, yep. yeah, okay. And so in terms of these Gospels then, we've got four of them. Um, which in itself is interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, partly because that's a lot and, and mm-hmm. there's a there's a content-rich element to this, which, mm-hmm. I mean, could you share something about that? Because you, you pick up on this in the book that actually it's it's unusual. It's it's uh, Whereas we might be more used to the plethora of books that surround you know our world, and so maybe there are several biographies about Winston Churchill or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's our reality. Um, but back in the first century, uh, when the Gospels were originally um, authored, this was unusual, right? Could you share a bit more about... about why yes, four is unusual? Yes, well, I mean, it was unusual that you should have books written about someone who isn't from the elite classes or dead long ago. So that's already strange that you have these Gospels. Then we recognise that actually almost no one has that much written about them. Even the most famous person alive at the time, namely the Roman Emperor Tiberius, really only four major accounts of, of his life. And, and on a whole, uh, they are... Uh, shorter and somewhat later, somewhat more distant from the events than we have with Jesus. So I'd say Jesus's life is very well attested. And in fact, when we look at that last uh, week leading up to his his death and resurrection, this is the best attested week in antiquity. Hmm. You know, in terms of the number of dis- different testimonies we have about it. So that, so that, I suppose that's just the sheer volume, right? Mm-hmm. And and but also you're picking up, which is interesting as well, that it's not just the volume; it's the fact of. This was a, I mean, this is a life from lived largely in an incredibly 
isolated and insignificant location, right? I mean, in terms of Nazareth and Galilee, these the the locations themselves not particularly uh, eye-catching. I, I would say insignificant, yes, in the sense that these these are not. Um, uh, places of which had otherwise made a historical mark. In terms of isolated, I, I would say less so. You see, I mean, Capernaum's actually on a major mm-hmm. trade route. I mean, one of the things about the Israel and the Holy Land, Palestine, whatever you want to call it, is it is at the juncture b- between continents. And uh, I, I think actually, you know, one of my arguments for the reliability of the Gospels is that the people that Jesus came across or and, and that uh, who witnessed things were not as ignorant and as uneducated as some people might want to make out. So, you know, Capernaum is a place of um, of commerce and, and so on. Nazareth, yes, uh, much more of a backwater, you know, but um, e- even then it's not that far from a significant city. Do you want to go further in your knowledge of the Bible? Tinder House and Bible Society have more resources to help you do just that. Why not check out Inc, a free magazine from Tinder House that aims to bring you current research on Bible manuscripts, languages and the ancient world. It's for everyone, regardless of academic knowledge or experience, and it's free. Sign up for a post or e-subscription on the Tinder House website. There's also the Bible Course from Bible Society. The Bible Course is an eight-season small group resource that combines video teaching from Dr Andrew Ollerton with interactive study time. It shows how the whole Bible fits together, from Genesis to Revelation, and how it applies to our lives today. Search The Bible Course or visit Bible Society's website to order a copy today. So Jesus obviously lived his life there and we um, and and played out in Jerusalem in the final week and so forth, mm-hmm. and the Gospels record this. But just in terms of the, if you like the the, the stages you've got from the, just for the sake of our listeners, just helping tease this out from from when Jesus actually, if you like, spoke and did and acted in the world, uh, through to when the Gospels were actually first penned and mm-hmm. and brought to to paper. Tell us a little bit about the journey and yeah. how you understand that period. Yeah, and there's a lot that we we don't know. Um, so the Gospels come with these names, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John on. I think that's they are by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Mm-hmm. Matthew and John being um, disciples of Jesus, one of each one of, of the 12 disciples, uh, Matthew being a tax collector, John being a fisherman. Mark, I think, got his information from Peter, who was the disciple, and Luke is a doctor who did a lot of investigation. But in terms of the dates they're written, they don't give us dates, but they have to be written within the lifetimes of people who could plausibly be disciples and uh, early followers of Jesus. So that gives us some limits. How do they get their information? We get some uh, hints about uh, this in terms of Luke saying that he investigated things. But with Matthew and John, of course, they were disciples. And disciple only has one job, that is to learn, to follow, uh, to do what their their master says. And so uh, if Jesus is presented repeatedly in the Gospels as a teacher and they are presented as learners or students of his, um, then it's not really surprising that they should be able to pass things on. Now, people have these technical debates about how, uh, how much people wrote down at the time, how good people's memories were. Uh, but the point is, it doesn't actually matter how good it, people's individual memories 
are if you have a good teacher who makes sure that they learn. Um, that So I, I think Jesus would check up and make sure that they'd learnt it. And if you have to go through the lesson one more time, then you do that. Um, so I, I think there's a very thick bandwidth to get reliable uh, accounts of the teaching of Jesus from him to the books. Okay. But just say a bit, uh, I get that, but just say a bit more about that because obviously, nevertheless, we, I mean, part of it is we're in the digital world now, mm-hmm. aren't we? we? You know, memory is something that we have on our phones more than in our <laughs> brains now, isn't yeah, it? Sure. Uh, increasingly. What are, your, what are your thoughts about the, what we, I mean, we call it the oral tradition, don't we? We call yeah. it this period of time where uh, rather than it being necessarily, at least in, in the current form of the Gospels, fully written down, some of what Jesus said and did is being passed on through um, through word of mouth, if you like. Yep. And that sounds to us intrinsically unreliable. In that context, what, what are your thoughts about the reliability of the period where, where the, the, the teachings of Jesus are being held within this eyewitness yep. community? So often what people do is they, they take us to general studies of how reliable um, oral traditions are and, and they, they, they can vary uh, a lot and I would prefer not to go there because I would say we can get into the details of the Gospels and see they clearly know what they're talking about they clearly have high quality information the question of how they got that is a separate question so I mean there are theories that people used waxed writing tablets and they could write down contemporaneously with Jesus um, Someone like Matthew's a tax collector. He would have had to write an awful lot of receipts in his life. Um, you know, don't pay tax without getting receipts, um, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 so on. But there's a, another side, which is whether or not they wrote things down. He's a teacher, and he has twelve learners. That's the whole idea of, of having disciples. He has a school, um, and uh, he has more than just the twelve, and he teaches repeatedly. So you can see certain things, say in Matthew's gospel, where he teaches the same thing more than once. He teaches about divorce more than once. He teaches if you're. Mm. Um, I offend you, pluck it out more than once. Uh, the, the phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, occurs many times. Um, th- there are certain things which he would say repeatedly. And I think that um, the idea that these things can't be passed down properly is problematic. So even in the thing that we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through to 7, we think of it now as a sermon. But what it actually says is he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. So it doesn't call it a sermon, it calls it a lesson effectively. Um, and so that then you, rather than having to think, oh, could they do shorthand and, you know, memorize this all in the spot? You can think, oh, actually, this is a whole syllabus we've got. He also sends out his disciples to do their own sermons. So does he mm. help go over their outlines and, 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 and prepare that? How much material uh, do they get? And when he goes as he sa- it says, from village to village, you know, uh, does he use a different sermon every night or does he use the same? I mean, I've given some talks like a hundred times. Um, my brother was once uh, working with a uh, very famous artist as his PA and he said by the end he could do the stand-up show, mm. you know, almost from memory. That mm. That's repetition just occurs. Yeah, okay. And in that context, you, you can have a, a lot of um, potential for good things being handed down, right things being handed down. Including some of the differences then. So so the Beatitudes in Matthew's gospel, they they are recurring in Luke, but with yep. slight differences. And your view would be, well, Jesus said that several times and maybe yeah, the well, nuances... If you've come up with sayings or memes as good as that, mm. would you only ever use them once? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really... You know, yeah. when you've taught them to people, you you crafted th- th- these uh, amazing pieces that are are steeped in Old Testament reference that have 
alliterative structures in them in Greek and so on, would you only use them mm. once? It's, it's almost uncon- inconceivable. Mm. And the Gospels effectively tell us that Jesus repeated uh, sayings. So why would we expect uh, him him not to do that. I mean, I, I think a lot of it has has is failing to take seriously the idea that he is a an itinerant teacher. So, in a sense, getting from the events and the spoken words of Jesus through to the text that we have, the Gospels today, you, in a sense, you put the emphasis on, as I hear it, the genius of Jesus as a teacher and the re- repetition of him as a teacher, combined with. Um, the disciples who were more than one as you say and the fact that in that culture you remembered stuff I mean there, there was a, a memory capacity that we've perhaps uh, lost today as well yeah, so you think about the story of the two sons of the prodigal son it's a brilliant amazing mm. powerful story if you've thought up that story are you only going to tell it once mm. I mean mm. it, it seems to me an absurd idea mm. um, so I, I think of, of course this is something that, that, that mm. um, Jesus would repeat so almost remember, I mean, one of the things I'm taking from this is as you read the Gospels, remember, this is a, a sort of condensed and contracted summary of what was played out over years and therefore in multiple occasions, mm-hmm. um, but has a reliability to it, even precisely because of that repetition yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and repeat. So just as, I mean, just as you think then, oh, a couple of questions, we bring this into land part one, but I just think um, firstly, as you think about the record we have of Jesus as compared to any other equivalent hist- his, uh, figure in, in history, mm. particularly of, in antiquity. Um, what gives you confidence, particular confidence, that we can actually know Jesus through the Gospels? I think that's a huge question, and there are so many things I probably can't get them into a short answer. Uh, and the reason why is because there are lots and lots of converging lines of evidence with Jesus. So I've just been speaking, in a sense, about the historical testimony line. But there's also um, the, the argument that you could make from prophecy, where it seems that there are bits in the Holy Scriptures mm-hmm. of the Jews that fit beforehand very well with Jesus's life Jesus's life and death also have meaning a significance saving the world um, all of these things come together uh, and so uh, and they mutually reinforce I'd say but just sticking with the sort of historical testimony of the gospels I would say that we can test the gospels we can see that they have lots and lots of local knowledge of multiple kinds so you can test their knowledge of geography or weather or law or local customs, and they, they get them right every time. They also have literary patterns which show um, reliability. That is, you have overlap between Matthew and Luke. You have overlap between Mark and Matthew and Luke. Uh, but then you then you have bits which uh fit with John and so on. And when we look at these four Gospels, we have at least five types of material, in fact, amongst them. And we can test each one of those and we find that they all seem to be um, locally knowledgeable uh, and and so on. So these things come Mm. together. And then you have to explain how did did Christianity get going? I mean, I I think the whole idea that this religion uh, took root is so much easier to explain with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, um, the death on its own, uh, you know, crucified guy, why would anyone follow that at all? So so I think it's it's these things coming together, making sense as a whole. And in that sense, the word trust, back to that, whilst you can't put the, the object in a test tube and, and, and perform some experiment on it, actually, 
and we'll come on to this in part two you've begun to whet our appetite for some of that but there's a sense in which you can actually run some tests and mm -hmm. cross-referencing and so forth and that gives us a real confidence we can trust that as we read the gospels well i suppose and this is what i was going to just come to as we bring this into land just very personally now i mean i presume you know on, on a daily basis or whenever you can you're going to be reading the bible and mm -hmm. and so as you i want to imagine sort of you know pete williams you're reading the gospels mm -hmm. and you're all of that background you know all the mm -hmm. journey you've been on in scholarship and research how does that affect the way that you actually experience it and read it well, I think every day, you know, wake up and know that God's given us this day and that God's a loving father. We are wayward children and that he has sent his son into the world to save us. And this is, you know, the message that's come through very clearly from the Gospels. And you can know uh, that we are forgiven because of, of uh, Christ's death on the cross. Mm. So in that sense, the confidence, I suppose, is, yep. is changes the experience. And I think this is part of the thing I, I hope we are sharing through, through you know, channeling your, uh, your experience and knowledge is almost that as we, for our listeners, as they read the Gospels, um, confidence can rise and therefore the experience increases as well. Absolutely. Pete, looking forward to part two. Thank, Thank you. you. Trusting the Bible is a collaboration between Tyndale House Cambridge and Bible Society. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to catch the rest of the conversation. If you'd like to know more about what we do, visit us online at tyndalehouse.com or biblesociety.org.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series, so do get in touch either on Twitter at Tyndale underscore house or email us communications at tyndalhouse.com.